We are happy to be partnered with Los Alamitos for their winter meet running December 9th through the 18th. The stakes action is strong with the grade one starlet on Saturday, December 10th for two-year-old fillies going one mile on the 16th, as well as the grade two Los Al Futurity for two-year-olds males at the same distance the following weekend, December 17th. Also on December 10th is the quarter horse champion of champions with quite possibly the best, most competitive field ever assembled. Last year's world champ, Danger, defending champion, apolitical pence, and current standouts, Bomb, Cyclone, and Impressum are all set to clash. We're happy to bring you continued coverage of the Los Alamitos meet on these airwaves and over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, shining a special light in today's segment on the double connecting the starlet and the champion of champions. You'll hear more about that in our very first segment. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, December 9th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, and we dive right in with two guests I'm thrilled to have on who are, are uh, you'll have many associations with, but a lot of them are going to have to do with Los Alamitos, where we have some tremendous action both day and night on Saturday that we're going to be talking about on this show. First, we will welcome in a first time guest, probably been a host fail that we haven't had him on sooner you'll be very familiar with his tones long time los alamitos announcer he's called uh called, called races there for for a minute or two currently still involved at los al making the morning line doing a media appearances this weekend absolute legend ed burgart ed how are things hey peter i appreciate all the compliments and good to see michael rona on board as well but yeah i was at los alamitos I actually started there in 1977 working in the press box and Call my first champion of champions, 1981, when uh, Denim and Diamonds beat Sergeant Pepper Feature. Retired in 2019, still doing the morning line. And Michael gets to call what I think might be overall the strongest champion of champions field in the 50-year history of the race. I don't want to put any pressure on Michael because he's a pro anyway. <laughs> but uh, You've got a great field to call, so really looking forward. And I'll be working with FanDuel this weekend. I'll be with Dave Weaver, Caleb Keller, and Jose Contreras. And I'll be on set as well. So looking forward to the uh, weekend. It's a great team you have out there. You heard him laugh. You've heard him on this show before. You've listened to his calls. My favorite credit of this next guest is the fact that he's the only race caller ever to be featured on Seinfeld. He is Michael <laughs> Rona. Michael, what's going on? G'day, Peter. Good to be with you, mate. Does that come up a lot? Do you get do you get people wanting to, to talk about that still uh, because of the life that show has had even since it was on the air? Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing that people will still text me when they see the show coming up. It's in reruns, of course. And uh, believe it or not, I get a little trickle of royalties all these decades later. Uh, it's not much more than would buy a couple of happy hour beers, but still. <laughs> that counts. You know, that's still that's still something. Um we got a good card at, out at Los Al. It's the card itself starts 3:30 Eastern. But the race we're going to talk about is at the other end of the spectrum. 7.30 Eastern is the scheduled post time for the grade one starlet for these two-year-old fillies. We've got a field of seven going postward in this spot. Ed, we'll throw it back to you for your thoughts on, on this race. And I know we've got some, uh, we've got some connections to uh, quarter horse racing where, where we can begin. 
Yeah, we sure do, Peter. In fact, I'm doing the morning line for the daytime thoroughbred meet as well as the nighttime quarter horse meet. And Bob Baffert, who saddled Gold Coast Express to victory at the Champion of Champions back, I think, in either 1986 or 1987, and uh, had all of his success at Los Alamitos before switching over to the thoroughbreds, and now a Hall of Fame trainer. He's got three in the Starlet, including the favorite phases. So certainly a good connection there with the Starlet being the first part of that championship daily double that will conclude with the champion of champions. So looking forward to the starlet and then of course, to the champion of champions. What do you think in terms of who's going to win the race? Would you have a strong opinion in the starlet? Ed? You know, phase is the horse is getting all the hype right now. I work out that last workout, the seven furlong workout, according to the reports I get from a uh, handicappers report where I get the weekly reports, just an eye catching drill actually spotted a horse about four or five lengths and was to, in the tracking mode and went by easily. So I don't think Bob Baffert would supplement her to this race uh, just to see her run around the track. And you got Flavian Pratt coming over. I think she's definitely the horse to beat, but Baffert's maiden doing it the hard way. A real good second two weeks ago down at Del Mar. The quick turnabout's the main question, but I looked at the times that day. There were four races run at one mile. That was the fastest of four races won by a two to five favorite and doing it the hard way was 13 or 14 lengths clear of the third horse. So I'm thinking one of those two is going to probably win the Starlet. Michael, let's bring in you for your thought on this one. Is it as simple as there's the Bafferts and there's everybody else, or, or is it maybe a little bit more open than that? I think it might be slightly more open, but having said that, Phaser is strictly the one to beat. All you have to do is follow the money trail, right? In most instances, whether it be horse racing or any other form of business, and uh, you've got the supplementary payment to get this filly into the field, beat a next out winner in that debut win, and uh, it looks like all systems go for Phaser. However, number five, Uncontrollable, holds some appeal for me. Has an improving pattern, good second in the grade two chandelier. It might not have been the strongest rendition of the chandelier, but the third filly came out to win a stake at Del Mar next time out. And what I like about Uncontrollable is that she's the only filly with a mile and a 16th race under her belt. This is a long stretch at Los Alamitos, and you've got other fillies in the field with no two-turn experience, let alone a mile and a 16th with this very long home stretch. So I think that stands uncontrollable in good stead uh, as a possible upsetter. I think that she's worth including in uh, wages at four to one. Well, you talk about wagers, and we've got this special wager that we really want to promote with the double connecting this race and the champion of champions. We'll get to your guys' thoughts on that, because when it comes to the champion of champions, I'm relying on the experts. I'm not uh, pretending to be any kind of uh, expert when it comes to the ability to read quarter horse form, though it's something I do want to talk to you about, the, the similarities and differences between thoroughbreds. But I did want to mention one other runner to consider in the starlet. I'm interested in number seven, Blessed Touch, a little bit. I just felt like the angle here is that I think she ran better than it looked in the Desi Arnaz up on that hot pace, winning the speed duel, only to be run down late by the such visually impressive Justique who came from far back. Because Blessed Touch also does have a good number on the clock to run back to from two back. And I was seeing some world in which she gets a good stalking trip. Absolutely agree with you guys that uh, Faza is going to be very, very tough to down in this spot. But I will try a little bit of Blessed Touch on top and a little bit of Blessed Touch and Faza in an exacta uh, in the starlet. Let's if it on. does turn out to be Phaser and Blessed Touch, that would give Gervin the exacta. That's right. A Gervin exacta maybe out at uh, at Los Alamitos on Saturday. Let's set up the champion of champions at first 
for the thoroughbred fan who might not be as familiar with this race's rich history. Ed, since you called so many of them, we'll leave that job to you at first here. Well, the distance of the champion at champions is 440 yards. That would be comparable to a mile and a quarter race in the thoroughbreds if you're looking at the championship distance. So definitely when you're handicapping this race, you're going to want to look for horses that can get the longer distance. I think there's some horses in the champion of champions that have been more successful at 350 and 400 yards. But this year's champion of champions, uh, the top four contenders, um, which are Bomb Cyclone from the rail, Danger from the two post, Apolitical Pins from post position number six, and Impressive from post position number 10. And they're all multiple winners going 440 yards. So I think uh, you've got to consider that the, all of them can get the distance and Definitely one of these should win. Of course, Michael and I are landing on the same horse. Uh, I like to impress him. I kind of regret that I did not make him the two-to-one favorite instead of eight political pens because I'm sure Michael's going to agree the number 10 post. That's going to attract a lot of attention for the players because the horse will be clear of trouble, and that's where he ran his best race of the year in the vessel's maturity. Yeah, I do. So I do lean towards Impressum as well. Uh, the, the post position draw was conducted in a live setting on FanDuel TV Wednesday afternoon, and the trainers could come up and select their post positions based on a pre um, a pre uh, arranged order. And it just happens that Bomb Cyclone, Impressum, and Apolitical Pence all have landed in slots that that really are so advantageous and preferable that it sets up for something very special. Um, but Impressum from the outside post is the horse I give a slight edge to. Uh, he was tremendous winning the vessel's maturity, pounding down the outside from gate 10, which qualified him to this race. And maybe in just trying to split hairs, that gives him the slight edge. But Bomb Cyclone's been pretty much unbeatable from the rail. He loves the inside post. Only problem is Bomb Cyclone's a three-year-old against older horses trying to do something that no other horse has done. Win the two million futurity, which, by the way, is Sunday night, which is race in California. The Super Derby uh, last month and the champion of champions. So he's racing against history in his first start against older horses. Apolitical Pence looking to match Refrigerator as the only three-time winner of this race and I think is probably going better this season than a lot of the last two years leading into the race. So he is a fearsome prospect as well. Uh, Danger, you've got to respect his record at the 440 is absolutely sensational, but he's never raced at Losal and therein lies a slight query and he was the last to get to pick a post position. He's ended up in the two hole, which is probably no picnic. I will hold your feet to the fire, both of you, at the end of the segment for like a final top three. So we have all the right horses to uh, go with both of your top selection, number 10 and press them. But I did want to ask a more general question first. We have a lot of people on these uh, listening airwaves who are familiar with quarter horse racing, but we have some people who this might be the first one they're ever betting. There are past performances available over at uh, daily racing form or some other PP providers. What sort of insight, and we'll keep this one with you, Michael, would you give to people who are used to handicapping thoroughbreds looking at the quarters? What, what should they be looking at? Well, that's, that's a good question. A tough question. Uh, but in looking at these horses, see, the thing is with this edition of the Champion of Champions, not only do we have four absolute top line horses, but they're all coming into the race in peak form. It's not like 
One of them is in decline. They're all just at the peak of their powers. And that's what makes it such a fascinating contest. But the fact that Impressum's only defeated Los Alamitos was when he was beaten at two to five by Apolitical Pence from gate two, when Apolitical Pence had a more favourable post position. Uh, I think that the post position switch here to impress him out in gate 10 might just give him the edge. And what is the best about the outside post at Los Al, Ed? Is it just that you're not in between horses or is there is there something more than that? Well, a lot of times the horse drawn on the outside will be one of the last horses to load into the gate unless the other horses are going in a flipping halter. They'll be the first ones to load. But if the last horse into the gate, sometimes the horse is drawn to the inside, will be in there uh, obviously a little bit longer, and they're not going to be quite as alert when the gates open. And a horse on the outside, if you break a little bit slower, veer out of the start, you don't risk the chance of getting shut off by a horse who might bump you inward. So it gives you a clear path to run in. Uh, Los Al is a very fair track inside to outside, but there's one note that I can make. Los Al went to thoroughbred racing during the daytime after Hollywood Park closed back in 2013. And in the last uh, seven runnings, I believe, of the champion of champions, if I'm correct on this, uh, six of the seven runnings have been won from either post positions number six or ten. And the majority of the horses have run very well on the outside part of the track. And I'm not saying that uh, the reason being that the track might be a little bit better at nighttime after the thoroughbreds have run on it during the daytime when they're on the outside. But the, the pattern's been towards outside horses. And I think, think the trainer of Impressum, Keith Taylor, commented at the draw, and Michael was there, I wasn't that he goes very close on post-position statistics, and that's why he selected number 10 for Impressum, because he had noted that the outside post had done historically well in this race. That sounds about right, Michael, from what you were saying before about being at the draw. Yes, that, that's a very insightful comment by Ed, and Heath Taylor uh, really impressed me at that draw when he was uh, declaring what a student of statistics he is, and he, he has done the homework. And uh, he's going with the historically productive post positions. Final answer time, Michael. When you rank these horses in behind Impressum, which way do you go? I've got to make a political Pence the hardest to beat. He's just doing everything right. I think he'll run another tremendous race. So I would go 10 over 6. And I'd probably have to put Bomb Cyclone in for third. I hate leaving danger out. Uh, I'd, I'd go 10-6-1, but the depth of this field, Peter, is such that you've got horses that are 15-1 to 1, that in any other year would be 8-1 to 1 chances, and uh, it's it's just uh, going to be a sight to behold, and uh, it's, it's really must-see horse racing for everybody. I'm excited to check it out on uh, on Saturday night for this one. Uh, late night in the in the East Coast, uh, or yeah, we've got uh, 12, 12 18 East Eastern nine eighteen Pacific. Ed, how about you for your final answer in this? How do you rank the contenders behind Impressum? Well, he's putting a lot of pressure on Michael. I, I rank uh, Impressum number one and A Political Pence number two. But if you're <laughs> playing trifectas and superfectas for third and fourth, uh, if they can flop in both powerful favorite and a political candy v i would definitely use both of those horses uh a political candy v won the all-american derby it's a great horse that just hasn't come away alertly over the track and uh, powerful favorites making the final start of his career full brother to bomb cyclone and if i recall powerful favorite 
was favored in this race before. And he's a tremendous horse. It's, he's 15 to 1. Michael said it would have been 8 to 1 in previous years. I think both the 5 and 7 in previous years would have been in the 3 to 4 to 1 range. That's how strong this field is. So I'm going to go 10, 6, and I would use 1, 5, 7 for 3rd and 4th. I love it. Great stuff from you two. Really appreciate having you on the uh, on the In the Money airwaves and giving your thoughts on this very interesting bet of the creativity. Definitely going to be getting involved myself. Hopefully we can have uh, some winners out there on the West Coast. Guys, hopefully we get to have you back on very soon. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Peter. Absolute pleasure, Peter. Thanks. The world's greatest harness racing happens every Friday and Saturday night at Meadowlands Racetrack. Post time is 6.20 p.m. with free admission and parking. There's a full calendar of events and great dining, so do not miss out on all the action. The track is open for simulcasting seven days a week. Visit PlayMeadowlands.com for all the details. Next up on the show, very happy to welcome in a guest I just had the pleasure of hanging out with out at the uh, symposium at Arizona, part of the racetrack industry, industry program at the University of Arizona that he attends. He also helps us out far and wide over here at the In The Money Media Network. He is Eric DeCoster. Eric, how are things? Things are good. Things are good. Obviously a little less uh, busy after the symposium. I mean, it's been a since Breeders' Cup, really, it's just been a daily grind trying to get everything ready. And then the event itself is pretty draining. So nice to have a little downtime before, of course, finals pick up next week. Let's look back for a minute at the symposium. You were involved behind the scenes, helping put some of the panels together. What for you were some of the highlights? Uh, honestly, and I'm not just saying this to say it, the, the horse players panel, the, the core player panel um, was very insightful. And I, I really loved how um, you, Jessica and Marshall were able to, you, you know, takeout is always just, of course, pricing. It's, it's the biggest thing. And you guys said it, uh, but I, I felt like you guys brought a lot of other really good uh, constructive criticisms to the table and more importantly, ways to, to amend that. So that was great. And, uh, just a lot of good talk about, about the state of the industry. And, uh, felt like there was a good sense of hope and, and improvement throughout the room, um, which I feel like at past symposiums hasn't always been the case. So certainly as someone, you know, a, a young person trying to get into the industry, you like to hear that it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. Marshall in particular did a great job offering very practical things that would actually be pretty straightforward for racetracks to do. One of the key ideas, and I heard a lot of buzz about it after, would be using those imputed doubles to give better guesses at final prices than the odds board itself suggests during much of the betting. I think, hopefully, that'll be something that we can actually get done. And, you know, I had some interesting conversations about pricing and other things. Jessica did a great job keeping that conversation moving. Marshall brought the goods and, you know, I, I chimed in where I could. I'll, I'll tell you, that was as nervous as I get being up there. It just felt like <laughs> such responsibility trying to speak for horse players in front of these industry powers. And usually when I'm in front of those people and for so much of the symposium, I spend chatting with people who are clients and you know it's just a little bit of a different attitude yes we give constructive criticism to clients on a regular basis but again just feeling that weight of all, all the horse players hopefully i'm glad to say to hear that you enjoyed it it was well attended by the students at the risk of turning this into a total love fest one of my favorite things was the hanging out at the cocktail party with you and some of your fellow classmates and just sort of going around the horn and hearing what different parts of the industry various people wanted to get into and, and having 
that optimism for the future that there are young people who love this game and and want to get involved and 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 make it better. It's a, it's a very cool program and something you know. I know we do have some younger listeners. I mean, I, I would assume this is an experience you would recommend to people looking to get involved between what you learn at the program itself and networking opportunities like the symposium. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there there were multiple times I just kind of stood back and looked around the room and. And couldn't believe, you know, some of the people that were there and not only that, but having the opportunity to, you know, talk to them, introduce myself or, or maintain connections. I'd made at previous symposiums or through guest lecturers, things like that. And I, I just think to, to anybody who, who does have interest, I, I feel like at times, you know, there's there's a stigma that it might be a hard industry to break into. And it's just so not the case, especially if you come to the University of Arizona. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a part of it. I'm saying because I've lived it. I mean, it's it's amazing how many people like you, Pete, for instance, who, who care about the future of racing and, and want to get young people in and they're willing to you know give out their contact information. If you want to call me at any time to discuss anything, you know, there's people I have calls set up with next week already to just discuss certain industry issues because I'm, I'm interested in that. And, and just having that availability is something that I feel like only the RTIP can afford uh, to young people and also just industries in general. I mean, I, I don't think there's many other, especially sports out there where all the big power holders uh, are in one room and they'll also talk to the next generation that to them really doesn't mean much at the current standing, but in the future could. There's a few things I want to piggyback off that. One is just to point out that you are a living example. We are a living example. I mm-hmm. met you at the conference on the world famous taco tour last uh, last year, and of course you're doing a bunch of work for us now. That's that's one example. You also mentioned about all the power players being there, and I want to just give special credit to Robert Hartman and and the way this. From what I understand, I've only been to the symposium in the last two years, but I, I understand there were there were some years in the wilderness for the mm-hmm. program, and now I feel like it's back being an, a must attend status for people within the industry. Something like five hundred and fifty paid uh, attendees of the conference, and I just know from my point of view, from an in the money media point of view, be absolutely indispensable to to be in there as well. And then the last point I just wanted to make, or, or just really going back to some of the content at the conference and things that just had to be shouted out, the announcers panel, the storytellers panel, Pete Aiello did such an amazing job with Dave Johnson and with Tom Durkin. Uh, very, very tricky one to moderate in terms of knowing when to push the conversation along, knowing when to just let those old storytellers go and do their thing. And I think he struck the balance perfectly and the multimedia element was really a lot of fun. I just felt like that was probably worth uh, the price of admission alone. Well, that and the taco tour anyway. <laughs> oh, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I just think uh, to Robert's credit, the the, the lineup that he put together um, not only the people, but how he structured it, right? You know, there was the heavy conversations. Then we broke it up with some some great talk with the announcers. And then, you know, we, we dove into thoughts of, you know, aftercare and, and horse players, right? It covered all the bases. And I, I just thought it was great. And yeah, to, to speak to the, the, the growth that Robert has put into the symposium in just his two years, a year and a half, really, now at the helm. I believe last year we had about 450. And the energy was good. You could tell there was like uh, notes of, Hey, hey, we're gonna get get this back to where it once was. Um, I felt like last year, and then I felt like this year it got there. And while maybe thirty years ago, over a thousand people would show up, but there were five hundred sixty-three registered attendants. That's over, you know, it's one hundred and thirteen uh, new people to the symposium. That's just to see that at any event, uh, year over year, that kind of growth is amazing. And I, I'm hoping, 
I know, I, I'll say I know uh, Robert and the rest of the RTIP team are going to be able to sustain it. Excellent stuff. Okay, let's dive in to some handicapping because you've done a great job on these shows before when it comes to diving into these races. And we're going to look at the Aqueduct Pick 6 on Saturday. Um, these are races where I probably will take a little shot at the pick six, but I also have some individual opinions I'm looking forward to wagering on. We start off in race number four with $25,000 claimers going one mile on the aqueduct dirt, a field of seven going postward. What are your thoughts on this race, Eric? Yeah, I felt it was a little tricky, you know, eight to five morning line favorite swift tap. It comes off of a very good win, a race that if he runs back to certainly makes him a, a clear choice, but that was also at the, the prior condition, he steps up now um, to the non-three level, and he hasn't been the most consistent runner. Now, his worst races did come um, at the starter level or even some trips to the allowance level, so it's understandable from that perspective, but I, I feel like I can't totally go with him and, and feel confident. The other horse I do look to, um, and he'll be my top choice, is the two good skate. Uh, he's one who has also been very consistent at this level and his worst runs have all been at the allowance level, um, including last time out, big long shot in there, got, you know, never really had a chance against some fringe stakes horses. And he's just clearly not that, but his runs through the claiming ranks have been much smarter, including two back at the spa. I feel like that's, that's certainly a race that he can, if he can replicate, uh, makes him the biggest player. So that's why he's my top choice. Also look to the four J stalker for a little bit of coverage and a leg. I'm not overly, uh, you know, confident in. Makes sense. I have the same thought with you with good skate being the top choice in here, just outclassed last time and did a little bit of running, at least attending that hot pace before fading back in against claimers should get a good forward trip in here as well. That's where I wanted to go. I was mm -hmm. going to try to beat, um, the morning line favorite Swift Tap. The other horse I thought was interesting and had reasons to improve is the number five, Dr. Love. New trainer Gustavo Rodriguez, very good off the claim. And given how well this horse is stuck on late in the races, should be suited to the stretch out and distance. I was going to go two, five, two, six, and four for Eric to kick things off as we move to Aqueduct's fifth race, claiming ranks once again, three and up. Six and a half furlongs on the dirt. And I had a fairly strong opinion in here. I really like number seven, motion to strike. Got caught up dueling last time on the inside, which wasn't necessarily where you wanted to be, in a fast pace. And that race came back strong for the level. Now drawn outside against a weaker field. Clearly looks to be the best speed and should be set for a peak effort in the third start of the form cycle. Motion to strike is a horse I'd press and picks and a horse I'll be betting to win. Eric, how do you see it? I'll roll with the nine in here, uh, Storm Shooter. Uh, drops out from the state bred uh, first level allowance races where he hasn't been much of a factor, but he's still hitting mid-pack. And you go back to his claiming efforts, very similar to the last event we touched on. He holds his own against this bunch, and, and that's what I really like. I think he can set a really good stalking, maybe pressing if no one else shows um, besides motion to strike. There's a few other speeds I could see on paper, but it's it's a little... Uh, I'm not as confident in those as your top choice. Um, so I think if he can just sit outside, uh, Linda Rice is always just money at this meet, especially when they're going to drop in class. And like I said, that's exactly what he's doing. Two Bs I am going to look to, and I will use uh, underneath And when I look at this race, is a three, Brunate, Brunate, however we want to call it. He's just always there. And that's, of course, what you love. Um, handful of seconds and thirds recently. He's, he's always one one below the top level, and I think that's going to come to fruition again here. But 
certainly I, a horse I will use, especially if he does step up, as well as the sixth majestic tiger. You talked about Gus Rodriguez. He's one of my favorite trainers on this circuit, um, just always firing. And he just always comes running late. He's a little pace dependent. So if those others do send, I could see him being the, the one to pick up the, the pieces late. We'll work on your wine knowledge with the number three. Definitely Brunate has so many of those Bond runners named after uh, <laughs> terrific Italian wines. Let's talk to, about race number six. We've got uh, $35,000 claimers this time. Phillies and mares. We're going a mile on the dirt for this field of nine. Eric, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I, I don't know how you viewed it, but I this was the toughest uh, leg of this sequence, in my opinion. My top choice will be the one reigning chick. Her figures are very much... I think scary is probably the best word to use because they are not of the level of some of these others. But I think her wins visually to me or her best runs visually to me uh, really do stand out. And, and so early on in her career, Orlando Noda was putting her in tough spots, probably just trying to pick up some checks. She has black type placing already to her. So it made sense back then. But now she's found her group. And I feel like two of her last three races at the claiming level, she has really stood out to me. Now, she does come from well out of it. Doesn't feel like there is a ton of pace, but I could also see, uh, you know, the riders in this race looking at it in that way. And then two or three of them send and all of a sudden she's there. But that's not like she needs a quick pace. So I'm going to hope that she can just continue improving and feeling comfortable against this type of horse and uh, and put in a good run. My other A in here will be the two fun wall that lasted second um, at a very similar condition last time in a race. I believe the top four from there all return in here. So uh, and it wasn't a very a race that separated themselves, I should say. So so certainly willing to take her. And she's another one I think can can navigate from off the pace if need be. That being said, I, I think I'm gonna have four Bs in here, five, six, eight, nine, certainly a leg I'm going I'm willing to get a little spread out in. I looked at it and looked at it and I my first view was very much in line with what you were saying about how many different ways there were to go. But I decided, and we'll see if the tote board gives me this in the end, I decided that the number nine Valorand was going to be excellent value in this spot. Mm -hmm. Valorand was the one that was fourth in that race you mentioned, won by Trade Secret, that four of these come out of. But I just, the, the more I looked at that race, the more I felt like she just didn't have a chance that day, and she was going to have a much better opportunity. Last time held up against the flow, that was a race that played to the front runners, and now... Um, and, and the other thing to note about that, or to note about her, is just how strong the race two back was. That race came back really strong for the level, finishing second to a mayor's comeback to win. This time, I don't think they're going to mess around with, with rating tactics. I think you'll see more speed from her early. She should be in a really good spot. And I'm hoping she can get the job done. And because of those form lines, the three beating her and the, the seemingly openness of the race, I'm thinking she could be all of that four to one. And at that, I'd make her a confident selection. I don't mind your idea, any of your ideas really as backups. If I'm playing this race in the pick six, I will have at least one line where I cover many, many of these, but I'm happy betting on uh, Valorant to win at that price. And also again, pressing up when it comes to the picks. Race number seven is a New York bred allowance with a field of eight going postward at the seven furlongs. And I was going to try to get out with two runners. I made number four, uh, hoo hoo. That's me. The top pick ran a great race on the clock last time doing. So I thought against the flow once again, this time around, um, who that's me faces a field with much more pace and that should see his late run to much better effect though I do think there are some scenarios where the seven excellent timing just proves the best of the speeds and wires them 
burning off the other uh, early runners in the process. I'm definitely going to cover that possibility as well. For picks, it's a lot of four and seven. Might bet the four to win. And this is a case where I will have exactas as well, four, seven, and seven, four. Eric, who's your idea of the winner? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with a, a lone A and call it good in the four. I know he's the favorite, but who who that's me. Just always been consistent, and he's been running against the t- some of the toughest New York Reds around, and, and that's obviously a very good thing. This is a, this is a strong group um, for just a you know a simple second level New York Red allowance. Right, certainly horses I could see get back up to the stakes level, but I think him dropping, I think excellent timing is going to to be there, but. If he can just get softened up by a few others, um, even just one like Color Me Posse who wired him um, last time out in October over the aqueduct surface, um, it'd be just enough for who who that's me to come pick up the pieces. So I'm pretty confident there. That being said, I read it very similarly to you. I would definitely play exact as 4-7 and 7-4 as coverage. All right, let's move on to the featured race of the day. We've got the Garland of Roses stakes for these uh, fillies and mares going six furlongs on the dirt. What do you like in the feature? Uh, I, I really, really like the number one Betsy Blue uh, for Linda Rice. I already talked about how she's an easy go-to at the level, but at the price we might get here, I mean, you know, five to two, three to one, not exceptional, but I feel like for the value I see in her in this race, it's enough for me. Uh, quick turnaround, but I always like Linda Rice horses when she wheels them back. That means she thinks they're really sitting on something. This is a horse who's just been very consistent. Ran against uh, Open last time out, despite being a New York bred in, in the grade three go for one. And ran a really good third in a big 10-horse field um, in a race where the speed just never really stopped going. So I, I really do like her from that perspective. I think that of the other top choices in here, especially the, the favorite smash ticket, there is her and Hot Peppers and Four Don't Let Sweet Flea, who's just one of the quickest horses in the Mid-Atlantic. It, it's not going to be easy. And Betsy Blue loves to just sit second or third flight, make the move when it matters, and punch home. And sometimes it gets the job done. Most of the time it results in a really good effort. So so that's where my eyes land. I will also have the Seven Begin on the type, top line. She's another one, who, more of a pace angle, because she in a, in a sprinting scenario like this, she'll be sitting a stalking mid-pack trip. And, and I thought her last out run was really strong. Rose Veloce, who beat her, has been just getting better and better for Bill Morey, and I'm sure she'll be in stakes company soon enough. Um, but they were 12, 12 and a half lengths clear of third place. So she ran a winning effort, huge one-on-one buyer out of that. I think one and seven are my, my two eyes in here. Playing it for the meltdown, which makes a lot of sense. That's an angle I remember uh, being on seminars uh, probably decades ago now with Stephen Christ and talking about how he loves to – you know, find scenarios where you can more or less uh, box the closers uh, mm-hmm. when the, when you think the pace is going to get super hot early. And this might be one of those. I mean, we're, we're in lockstep with our top pick, reading each other's email once again. And you made the case so well. There's I have little to add about Betsy Blue. Going to be a great setup. This is a club that Linda Rice has in her bag to bring him back in, in seven days. And again, a race just should be run to suit. I will hang on to some speed in here in the form of number five smash ticket if she can put away um hot peppers in the spot the two runner i think there's a chance she could be hanging around at the end so i will probably have at least a small saver with smash ticket most of the money is going to run through betsy blue in this spot for me and that brings us to our nightcap we've got two-year-old maiden special weight new york breads going six and a half on the dirt when it comes to this pick six, Eric, how are we going to get paid? 
Number five, Little Luca is my top choice here. He just checks every single box I like when I go to uh, a two-year-old maiden special weight. Speed and speed and fade first time out. That that's that's my money angle. Any horse that just shows interest in their debut, but kind of isn't able to stick with it uh, in the closing stages. I just know that that horse is going to be better in their next start. And having this little gap honestly makes me believe it even more so that he's a little smarter. He's a little more knowledgeable about his job. The work tab is great. First time gelding, which means you know it's another just great angle. I, I, I'm sure um, Kelly Prince numbers back that up just fine. So. All the things I love. Breen hits at 18% uh, second time out in maiden rank. So I really do like this horse in a race that, honestly, it, it's so hard to gauge pace in, in some of these maiden races when you when you have first-time starters. You just don't know what they're going to do. But based off of his speed on debut, I can confidently say he should be in front if he gets out the gates well enough. So he'll be my top choice. That being said, I will, you know, the morning line favorite, Quick Chaos, has ran two very strong races, losing to Stakes winner Acoustic Ave and his you know, second star. He's gotten a little bit of time as well, and he likes to come running late. And my, I'll say he's more of a B type, but a horse that does intrigue me. And it is a bit of a shot, but obviously, if we're trying to get out here in the last leg, we we want to have our bases covered. It's the seven Ferris Mueller, and you know, Ali Hosang's numbers are not very strong. First time starters, notwithstanding, I I think it's 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 an interesting one, but he is has so much pedigree to win first time out. Army Mule hits fourteen percent at that le- at that level. Uh, 20% with his juveniles. This guy, Ferris Mueller, half to multiple first-time-out winners. That didn't take much money. And his last work was exceptional. I mean, second out of 125 at Belmont, 48 flat. This is not a trainer that gets horses really geared up on debut, but that work tells me something. So I'm he's a bit risky, but obviously he's a horse I'm going to use for coverage sake. That's a, there's some good digging on that one. Yeah, I do see two of the siblings did win first out. The Army Mule numbers make sense. I had missed Ferris Mueller, but on your say-so, we'll be including um, as a backup, just based on those sneaky angles at a level that's been known once or twice to to produce a price. I did have a, a lone A in here that you didn't mention. I was going to go with number nine, Four Eyes. This runner caught a little bit of money on debut as part of an entry, and I just love that doing the best work late, making up half a dozen lengths in the lane, kind of a very good race. And the form of that race has worked out okay. I think uh, we've had a, a winner, a second, and a third to come out of it. And then also the recent works look progressive for these lower profile connections. You could get a bit of a price there. On backups, I thought, you know, you certainly made a great case on Little Luca. Absolutely should be included. And then I'll probably also throw a little bit of a what's up bro in there. A runner who did not take much money against my namesake uh, looms boldly mm-hmm. back on uh, November 12th. But but this horse has pedigree on the on the damn side and is a horse that just has license to improve with that race on, under the girth. So for me, nine on top, five, six, and seven on the background. But the seven, I'm just absolutely nicking from you. Uh, and you know, you've got strong preference for little Luca. You'll use the favorite quick chaos I was going to try to beat and then the clever case on Ferris Mueller. We'll see how it plays out on the track on Saturday afternoon. Should be a lot of fun. And it's always a lot of fun having you on these airwaves, my friend. Appreciate all the hard work you do for us and great to speak with you today. Of course. It's always a good time, Pete. I want to let folks know we have a whole other show on the Hong Kong International Races. Very happy to be partnering with our friends at attheraces.com and also our friends at the Hong Kong Racing U.S. Twitter account, officially Hong Kong Racing North America. You can find them at 
HK Racing US. Lots of great info on there. You're going to need to be following them ahead of Saturday night, Sunday morning's action. But also, because they've got a contest right now, if you follow, if you retweet, you have a chance to win a really cool hat and jacket. You hear about all that in much greater detail over on the Hong Kong show. Why is racing in Hong Kong so good? Well, I will not opine on that. Instead, we'll bring in one of the most popular guests we ever have on the network to do so. That's Sean Borman. What I like most about the Hong Kong product, you know, quite frankly, it's just a better product to gamble on than here in the States. It's full fields, it's competitive racing, tons and tons of liquidity, and it just day in and day out offers that chance to have a really big score, like a year-making score almost every day they run. Thanks for that, Sean. Go ahead and follow that Twitter account at HK Racing US and make sure to check out our Hong Kong International Races show elsewhere on the network. Last but not least, we bring in a returning guest. She was part of our roundtable when we did the Japan Cup night and uh, really wanted to have her back on. And for those of you who missed her story, I'm going to make her uh, I'm going to make her tell it uh, tell it again, because uh, I just thought it was I thought it was instructive because you you don't hear too many stories who get into racing quite this way. Uh, She is from uh, our friends at uh, Woodbine slash the JRA, one of the analysts who appears regularly over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com when it comes to JRA races, Alexandria Henry. Alex, what's up? Hey, Pete. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being here. Remind folks who might have missed it the first time your story. It had had an element that's in most origin stories, and then it had something fairly unique. (laughs) Of course. So... Um, my love for horses and racing, like most, started with my grandfather, um, who brought me to the Detroit race course, now defunct, um, when I was super little. Um, but my real love was ignited as I got a little bit older and started getting into video games. And as some of you may remember, uh, the Gallup Racer series that ended in the mid-2000s, well, in Japan, it never really ended, actually. Um there's a Japanese language game still called Champion Jockey. There's still Gallop Racer. And of course, is winning post. So as I got a little bit older and wanted to keep playing horse racing video games, I taught myself how to read basic Japanese, katakana, hiragana, um, and some basic kanji, and just got through these games because they're so much fun. And that really ignited my love then for Japanese racing because they include the real names of their champions in the game. So uh, that's how I got into Japanese racing and who my love for racing of course i'm an american racing fan too um but yes that's kind of how i (laughs) flourish my love i love it and what do you follow mostly in the u.s do you have a particular circuit is it just the top level stuff how how would you describe your fandom here yeah i'm a huge fan um i i do do the big circuits if there's stakes racing on the weekend uh you'll definitely catch me betting um horizontal wagers and verticals as well uh, but my favorite racetrack to visit in the U.S. has been Del Mar. It's absolutely beautiful, and I have some family out there, so you'll oh. find me in Del Mar in the summer. <laughs> that's a good. Uh, that's a good double whammy. And and hearing that, will you know, as we always say, no good deed goes unpunished. We'll we'll be having you back to to chat about some Del Mar at some point. This is a great night to pay attention to the JRA because a lot of people are going to be staying up late for the Hong Kong International races. We've got a whole other show on the network on that. But, you know, obviously we're dealing with uh, time zones that are going to be overlapping. So I'd encourage people who are uh, paying attention to the HKIR stuff to also take a look at the JRA stuff. What do we have, Alex, in terms of the big race on uh, Saturday night into Sunday morning here? Absolutely. So 
uh, Saturday night, Sunday early morning at about 1.40 a.m., 10.40 p.m., if you're in the PST time zone, is the Hanshin Juvenile Philly Stakes. So this race is over a mile, 1,600 meters on the turf at Hanshin Racecourse in Japan for two-year-old fillies. So it's their big marquee two-year-old filly race. Uh, they all carry about 119 pounds. They have right, it's one right-handed turn, so one turn mile there. Um, and it really decides who wins their two-year-old filly championships at the end of the year. It sounds like uh, obviously a very important race for divisional honors. Can we find a bet in it? What's the market looking like this far out? Yeah, so actually I have to tout a website called humanity.jp slash en. They have it. So humanity is a great resource for um, odds. Um, They actually have odds up right now. Um, I'm a VIP member of the website, so I can kind of see where JRA is, is trending. And right now, the current favorite uh, favoritism actually is tied between two runners, uh, Umbrail, the number 17 Philly, and Liberty Island, number nine. How do you separate those in your own analysis? Is it between those two, or do you do you see something getting involved at bigger odds? You know, I, I really like Umbrail. She's two for two. Uh, she won her, her maiden at Tokyo Racecourse over seven furlongs in June quite impressively. Uh, uh, Christophe Lemaire took the ride there. Um, she took a break, as many Japanese racehorses do over the hot, hot summer. Um, came back in October of this year to win the Momiji Stakes at Hanshin. So this race course, she won that by about a half length and mid-pack uh, style with a great flourish at the end. She actually gained 10 pounds over the summer um, to win. And so she comes in this race of, off about a two-month layoff. And I, I really I really like her. The, really, the only knock is the post. She drew post 17. So, of course, not, not the best. Um, whereas Liberty Island, uh, Philly, um, she, she's by Duramente out of an all-American mayor named Yankee Rose. Uh, she won her debut in July at Niigata uh, over this, this distance, uh, one mile, and then came back to finish second to a Philly that will also be vying for favoritism named Ravel um, in the Artemis Stakes in October. Um, personally, I would take Umbrail. I know it's taking chalk, um, chalk eating weasel. I know <laughs> as you, you said before. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, I really like her. I, I probably in uh, horizontal wagers would take uh, the three fillies, honestly, Umbrail, uh, Ravel and Liberty Island um, just to get some coverage uh, for for a price. I mean, the price fillies don't typically win this race. It really is quite formful over the years. Um, but uh, there seems to be some interest in uh, a filly called Bhutan d'Or. Um, a filly that's won two straight uh, before finishing second in the fantasy stakes in November at this race course uh, and over a seven furlongs. And so she has some potential to to get better uh, and better. So she's one I may take at a price. She may be about 20 to one on our circuit. Some some very interesting ideas there. You mentioned the humanity.jp slash en site. Really great information, past performances, uh, and uh, you can get a you, there's a lot of information you can get without even being a member. And then when you're a member, there's, there's all that much more stuff, articles too, definitely worth checking out. Of course, the team will have more coverage too over at inthemoneypodcast.com, uh, including past performances and, and picks from the team for, uh, for, for, for a bunch of the stuff going on Saturday night into Sunday morning. But I would be accused of a host fail, Alex, if I didn't at least ask your opinion about some of the Japanese runners 
who are going to be participating in the Hong Kong international races, given the immense amount of success Japanese runners have been having around the globe. Any in particular that you're interested in betting in Hong Kong, or at least uh, we should be paying attention to? Absolutely. So there's a couple, a couple in, in the race. Um, so Hong Kong Cup, of course, over about 10 furlongs, 2,000 meters. So Pantalasa is the one that's the most fun to watch. He was the, the horse that took an immense lead, about 15 lengths, tried to do a secretariat-style uh, romp um, in the Tenno show um, in October or so, just a couple of months ago, and then just got nipped at the wire by Equinox. So he's one I love to watch. Um, it's actually a great story there. Um, his trainer, uh, Yahagi, um, actually calls on his old friend, Yutaka Yoshida, to ride. Um, and they have a long history dating back to 1997, almost winning the Japanese Triple Tierra on Mihiro Dober. So these two, um, you know, old guys get together and I would love if they could get a win. Um, they're just absolute consummate professionals. Um, so he, he's vying for um, a win here. Um, and you'll see him on the lead. Uh, and we also have Jack DeOr, who drew gate number two, uh, grade two winner of the Sapporo Kanen um, over this distance in August. He missed by just a half length to get fourth in the Tenno show last out behind Pantalasa and Equinox. So he's one that's interesting as well. Um, for more of a price, so Geoglyph, um, he is a, a three-year-old, uh, drew barrier number three. He won the grade one Satsuki show over 2,000 meters earlier this year. That race is the equivalent of, it's their first uh, leg of the Japanese male triple crown. Um, he didn't get a mile and a half um, in the Japanese derby, even though he was he was quite well touted, um, and then didn't quite get there um, in the Tenno show last out in October at the same distance. But I think he's a three-year-old late in the season. We've seen it before. He could progress. Um, he'll likely get some some good firm turf to run on. Um, so as a nearly four-year-old, I would also take him as a price. He, he will likely um, be at least 20 or 30 to one, hopefully, <laughs> if we can get that. Hey, at, those, at those numbers, you don't have to be right too often. Alex, it's so great having you on. Your passion, your enthusiasm, and your knowledge come through and are infectious. And we'd love to uh, have you on again. We may, do, we may do one more of those roundtables before it's all said and done, and we'd love you to be a part of it. Awesome. Would love to be a part of it as well. Appreciate it. <laughs> Any other closing thoughts from you before we let you go? Just, uh, you know what? Google, Google Translate is your best friend. If you want to read some articles in Japanese, go for it. Um, jockeys, trainers, owners are really expressive when they talk about the form of their horses are really honest. So, hey, get the translators out and you can get some good tips or information. That's great stuff. All right. We will be talking soon, my friend. Thanks, Pete. Really appreciate it. See ya. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank all of today's guests. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Remember, trfinc.org slash players, the place to go to make donations there. End of year at a very good time to, uh, to, to get that done. If you have any questions about making other kinds of donations, stock, etc., you can reach out to our friend Kim Weir over there. Just let her know that we sent you. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos!